Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's move into our Bible study, and we're in the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 15. So again, if you're new or visiting, um, I'm not preaching at you. Uh, I, I share this with the flock on a regular basis. I believe in teaching the Word of God. And so it's going to take some time. This morning is probably going to be about a 45-minute study. And you might not be used to sitting through that type of study. I know when we first came to a Bible-believing church, it was very different for us because we went to a church where we uh, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, and, and we had a liturgy. And so to sit for a half hour to 45 minutes, it was, it was different. It was hard for us initially. But once we got used to it, then we started to grow. We started to learn more about the Word of God, and then we appreciated it. And now if we go to a church service on vacation or visiting somewhere and, and they don't have that, we really miss it. It's like, wow, we, if we feel like we just messed a, a, missed a, a big meal. And so hang in there if you're newer visiting. Um, you'll get used to this, and you're going to grow. You're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is the whole point of doing a Bible study. It's not about head knowledge. It's about heart transformation. It's about our soul being deprogrammed from the garbage that was programmed in all of our lives and allowing the Word of God to wash over our minds and to purge our minds from those things that are just worldly, of no eternal value. And so that's what we do here at Calvary. So let's read over our text so that we can get the context of our study. So we're going to start in verse 1, even though a few weeks ago we covered verses 1 through 10. I'd like to read them again so that uh, you can obviously remember the context. All right, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so as we go into this meeting that we're going to go into here, that is the whole key to the meeting. There were certain believers that came from Jerusalem. They came to the church at Antioch that was made up of Gentiles. And they were teaching now the Gentiles who were not circumcised that they needed to become circumcised and to follow the law. The first five books of the Bible. That's key to our whole story. So verse 2, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Now again, this might be your first time, so quick explanation. If you do not have Jewish blood in you, then you are a Gentile. No matter what you think your race is, according to the word of God, according to Judaism today, there are two races on the face of this earth. You're either a Jew because you have Jewish blood in you, If you don't have any Jewish blood in you, then you're a Gentile. It's that simple. So as we read these terms, you want to know that and remember that because God so loved the whole world, Jew and Gentile. 
No one is exempted from that love. So verse four. Uh, and when they came, oh, read, read that. Verse five. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Again, notice the problem here. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They were going to have a friendly debate. They weren't going to yell each other down and intimidate each other. They were coming together to discuss the word of God and the grace of God. We should even to this day be able to discuss differences in a calm biblical manner. Verse 7, and when there had been much dispute, notice that, much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter is referencing back to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them as Jews. And unfortunately, they had this mentality that they were the the frozen chosen and that God didn't love the Gentiles. Well, we're finding out, no, God loved the Gentiles all along. We'll get to a really important lesson on that in our study this morning. Verse 8, again, so God who knows the heart. You see, God knows your heart this morning. He knows that he, he, whether you love him, but he, this know, know this for sure, he loves you. And he knows if you're playing church. He knows if you're playing religion. He knows if you're punching the clock. Uh, he knows. So don't try to kid him. So God who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit. You see, these Gentiles that were seeking after God, God knew that. And so God poured forth the Holy Spirit upon them just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. That is key to our study this morning, by faith. Again, you may be at home thinking, well, I go to church and and I pray a rosary or, or I fast or I do this or I do that. That's basically going back to works. What can you do for God to get him to accept you? To get him to allow you to go to heaven? It doesn't work that way. It's by faith. Again, you're going to see that in the study this morning. Verse 10, now therefore, Peter kind of wraps up what he's saying. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, these new Gentile believers? And when you become a believer in Christ, you become a disciple. So every believer, every Bible-believing Christian is called a disciple. And if we are disciples, that means that we are a student and we have a teacher whom we call Jesus, and Jesus teaches us via the word of God, via the Holy Spirit. That's how it all ties together. The neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So he's saying to all the Jews gathered here, 
We couldn't fulfill the law, 613 commandments. And Paul taught in the Old Testament, if you break one law, you've broken all the law. So you, in other words, you have to be perfect. There was only one man that was perfect, and that is, his name was Jesus. He fulfilled all of the law. Again, we'll get to it. That's why he's the acceptable sacrifice. So now in our text this morning, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works, James goes on to say. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout, all, throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love letter. Your word will teach us and guide us correct us, rebuke us. We thank you for all of that, Father, for we need your loving hand upon us to do those things. So, Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray for every Bible-believing Christian that we would go deeper in our walk with you, that we would allow our hearts to be transformed via the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Father, we pray as believers for every unbeliever that may be watching that they would come to understand that you love them no matter what their background, no matter what their race. You love them. And Father, you desire a personal relationship with them. And Lord, your word says that you are granting them, every single person upon the face of this earth, but for those specifically who are watching right now, that you are literally granting them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That they would hear the truth and that they would turn to the truth, that they would repent and accept Jesus as their Savior at the end of this study. Father, we pray for them that they would come into a personal relationship with you. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching that you would be glorified in and through your word this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're new or visiting, grab your Bible and let's go through these verses. And we'll start in verse 11. But we, Peter speaking, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, and you can substitute the word we there for Jew, because Peter was a Jew, and he's talking about Jew, Gentile, Jew, Gentile, that we shall be saved in the same manner as they, that the Jew will be saved just like the Gentile, and the Gentile will be saved the same way as the Jew. You see, Peter goes right to the heart of the matter, and I find it interesting that he references the order of salvation this way. You see, Peter was saved prior to the Gentiles. The disciples are trying to address the Jewish mindset about the Gentiles coming to God only through the nation of Israel and the requirements of the law. In the mind of the religious Jew, and again, as you read the word, as you study it, you've got to go back to that time frame so that you truly understand what's being taught. And in the Jewish mindset, anyone who wanted to come to God had to come through the Jewish law and be circumcised. That's still the same today for the religious Jew, for a Gentile who desired to become, uh, turn to Judaism to this very day. You would have to go through ceremonial cleansing, you would have to be circumcised, and you would have to agree that you would try to meet the requirements of the law, even to this very day. Hasn't changed. Peter is saying that the Gentiles receive salvation apart from circumcision. And so can the Israelites apart, this is key, especially if you're listening right now, if you're watching and you're a Jew, Jesus was Jewish. He was a Jew. He was 100% Jew. He died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. The Israelites, apart from trying to meet the requirements of the law, he places the emphasis on grace brought about by the cross and not by works that are brought about by an individual. Want to leave that slide up there for a few seconds on the internet. So important because the majority of the world today is religious. Whether you want to accept that or not, Islam, Catholicism, Judaism, Mormonism, uh, Buddhism, that's religion. And all of those religions, whether you like this or not, this is a fact, all of those religions base their eternal salvation on works. If I just do enough, God will love me and I will eventually get to heaven. And that's what Peter's addressing here. Grace versus works. So let's look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now again, if you're new or visiting, the team does a great job of putting a slide up. And so we'll leave that slide up for a few more seconds. Uh, You'll see there, John is is a gospel. You'll see the white cross. There's 66 little rectangles there, and you'll see that white cross is roughly where you will find that in your Bible. Take time to find it. Take time to, you'll see the chapter, and then you'll see the verses. The chapters are typically in bolder, larger numbers. The verses are in smaller, unbolded numbers. Don't be embarrassed. Get familiar with your Bible. John chapter 6, verse 26. You see, Jesus just reaffirming, uh, Peter is reaffirming what Jesus taught the crowds in Capernaum on one occasion here in John 6, 26. 
Jesus answered them, the crowd, now the disciples were part of that crowd, and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. The signs of what? The signs that the Old Testament spoke of about the Messiah. Healing the lame, the blind, the leper, raising the dead. If you see these signs, that is the signs of the Messiah. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled, temporal satisfaction. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man, and that's a title of the Messiah, specifically out of the book of Daniel, that Jesus references about himself often, will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And we saw that at the baptism of Jesus. Verse 28. Then they said to him, they asked a very simple question because again, remember, they were religious. They were works orientated. We want to go to heaven. We want God to love us. We want to do good works. They had a sincere desire as many people in religions today have a sincere desire. But just because you have a sincere desire doesn't mean that you're right. You can be sincerely wrong, even in your sincere desire. So you want to go back to the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation and make sure that your sincere desire lines up with the scriptures. If it does not then you are sincerely wrong. I was sincerely wrong playing church for 17 years. I was heading towards hell. I needed a savior. When I came to realize that, I went to the word of God and I found that and I received Jesus as my savior. And for the last 41 years, I've now been seeking after the sincere truth of the word of God. Do I have it all down? Not even close, but... I at least know the word is full of truth, and you can as well. So back in verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? A very sincere question. And you might ask that even of yourself this morning. Well, yeah, I'm a sincere Catholic or a sincere Muslim or I'm a sincere whatever. What should I do then, pastor? Just read your Bible. Because verse 29 tells us, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, the him there is capitalized, Jesus, that you believe in him whom he sent. Well, I still don't get it. Well, you're not going to until you continue to read your Bible. But Matt, when he prayed one time during music, uh, made reference to John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not through Buddhism. It's not through Hinduism. It's it's not through reincarnation. It's not through Muhammad or Joseph Smith or the Catholic Church. It's only through Jesus Christ that you will get to heaven. I think that's pretty clear. Well, let's continue on with with verse, as we look back in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Acts. So following the law and not falling short, which would be called sin. 
In other words, if you can't meet all of the law, then you have sinned. You've fallen short, which is impossible to do. You see, it would be classified as a work for salvation. The Jews were saying to the Gentiles, okay, that's, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but now you have to do the works of the law and you have to be, sac- uh, and you have to be circumcised. So it's Jesus plus the works of the law. It's Jesus plus circumcision. As they are addressing this issue in Jerusalem, has this idea of works crept into the church over the centuries? Think about that question there. Has this idea of works crept into the church over the centuries? Answer, absolutely yes. Absolutely. So let's think about this situation here. Some religious people have been placed, had placed a teaching in the mind of these saints that you needed to belong to a certain church in order to be saved. Did Jesus place attending a certain church equal to salvation in his ministry at any time? No. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals salvation, and you will find that throughout the scriptures. Abraham was saved by faith as an Arab before he was ever circumcised. Hundreds of years before the law ever came into existence. He was accepted by faith. You see, the Gentiles can be saved and so can we Jews by grace through faith alone. Peter made it so clear that there was no longer a debate. You see, Jesus silenced the Pharisees and now Peter silenced those who were Pharisees as well as those who were on the side of the Pharisees through the simplicity of the gospel. And here is the simplicity of the gospel, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So as you're sitting there watching this in your pajamas, or if you got dressed up, or whatever the case may be, If you are an unbeliever, if you don't know, if you died right now that you'd go to heaven, here is the simplicity of the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. In other words, God's reaching out to you even right now in this sermon and saying, I love you, accept my son. You now have to, if you so choose to, you have a free will to accept that free gift. If you do not, don't ever blame God. Because God's given you an opportunity once again. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Very plain and simple. How about verse 12? You see, Paul, at this point, Peter's now done, and Paul is going to step up with Barnabas. And I can just imagine Paul giving Peter a high five at this point because of his bold stance in front of the believing Jews. Peter has a tremendous boldness because of the Holy Spirit. And I would, have, I would have loved to have been here at this meeting because I personally believe, and I think the scriptures prove this, that Peter and Paul were very close friends in the ministry and came to a very deep mutual respect and love for one another. And we see that Paul and Barnabas are going to take the floor and begin to share about the good news of the Gentile believers. You know, this must have been an emotional stirring scene. Got a slide there, John. This must have been an emotionally stirring scene to see Paul sharing his heart 
about how God had blessed these people with the free gift of salvation. This is Paul, who was Saul. Same man, just a name change. So, you know, as we read the Bible, we just kind of read it and we have it as we read it. We're reading it with a voice in our mind and we don't emphasize the tone or the inflection and we, we don't bring the emotions into it a lot of times. Whereas we do a Bible study, you want to do that. In your devotional time, you want to take time to do that. Paul is going to have a lot of emotions here. The very group of people that Paul personally loved to hate, the Gentiles, He's now being used by God to reach. So, verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them. Notice, they weren't the ones doing the works. God was doing the works through them. So yes, God does need ambassadors And you and I as believers, we're ambassadors, but we should never take any credit for healing or whatever it might be, whatever gifts God uses through us, always point people back to God. God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Well, what can you say in response to God's blessings upon those whom you thought, Jew, Gentile, shouldn't be blessed at all? Well, let's look at an Old Testament, Jonah. Now, this might be hard for you to find, so take your time. Jonah 4. And we're going to read a lot of verses here so that you get a better picture of an unrepentant religious Jew versus a repentant religious Jew. Paul was a religious Jew that repented of his pride, his ignorance, and his arrogance of wanting to kill Christians and hating the Gentiles. Jonah, unfortunately, we don't see that he repented of his pride and his arrogance and his desire for God to wipe out the Gentiles. Well, let's read Jonah chapter four. But it pleased Jonah, displeased, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became very and he became angry verse 2 so he prayed to the lord and said ah lord why did jonah become angry well you see jonah as a prophet you got to read the whole book and i encourage you to do it he was directed by god to go to nineveh gentiles very very bad isis of the day gentiles Jonah did not want to go. Jonah eventually went, and Nineveh repented from the king all the way down. They repented, and they acknowledged that God was the only God of all creation, and they accepted God and started to worship God. And Jonah was very displeased because they were Gentiles, and they were bad Gentiles at that. So there you have it. And so Jonah now says, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country, when Jonah was still in the land of Israel? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know 
that you are a gracious and merciful God. Notice that. If you're this morning, if you don't think God is loving during this whole situation with COVID, losing your job, losing a family member, whatever the case may be, if you don't think God is loving, read your Bible because God is love and God is loving. But again, we lived in a fallen and cursed world. Jonah acknowledges, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Notice what Jonah proclaims. I know that you're that kind of God. That's why I didn't even want to go to the Ninevites. I knew you'd forgive them. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. I'd rather die than see the Ninevites repent and love you. Isn't that a sad statement of religion? For it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. God, I hope you fry them. I hope you nuke them. Light them up. That's what I hope you do. His heart is totally unrepentant. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. Notice who's doing the work here. God, God, God. God's trying to reach the Ninevites, and he did through Jonah. Now God's trying to reach Jonah, someone who supposedly loves God. Prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a violent east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Again, God just... Take my life. I can't take it. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You see, God talks to us today via the Holy Spirit, via the word of God predominantly. But he can also talk to us through a teaching like this. He can also talk to us through our children. When, when children say things, we're reminded of the scriptures and we're reminded of Oh, yeah, I should have the faith of a little child. Why don't I trust God? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Notice Jonah just digging in his heels. And maybe as a religious person, you're digging in your heels today. Well, I don't like what you said about religion. It's fact. Read your Bible. God does not care for religion. He's into a relationship. You have pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I have pity? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? In other words, there was 120,000 children. They couldn't discern their right or their left. 
they weren't even three or four years old. Jonah, I spared all those children and you're upset with me? Jonah, what's the matter with you? God's trying to reach him. And God is trying to reach us as well, believer as well as unbeliever. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? Why am I having this pity party? Why am I asking God just take my life? Why? Because I'm looking inwardly instead of looking upward. We need to stay focused on eternity and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 15, verse 13. And after they had become silent... James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Now here we see James. He now comes into the scene. Because it's just hard to argue against the facts of transformed lives by the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas just shared about transformed lives. Paul's life had been drastically changed. He used to be a Pharisee who killed Christians under the banner of religion and the law. And now he is sharing with the believing Pharisees that he most likely used to hang with. Think about that. About the grace of God upon the Gentile believers. You see, it's a transformation that's taking place within Paul and with the mind, within the minds of the believers present. You see, Paul is not the same man that he used to be. And his fellow Jews could obviously see that. There was evidence. So even you today, as a, if you say you're a believer, let me ask you a simple question. Is there evidence of your salvation? Or are you still swearing and laughing at the coarse jokes and partying and doing all those things that you used to do, but now you say you're a believer, but there's not been a change? You really need to look at yourself. I would never say you're not saved, but you need to look at yourself and evaluate whether you're truly in the faith or not. Once you're saved, you're saved. But we need to make sure that we truly are saved, that we didn't make a head commitment versus a heart commitment. When we make a heart commitment, our lives are going to change supernaturally, but naturally, they are going to change. You see, again, it's very hard to argue with a life that has been transformed by the power of God. It comes down to grace transformation versus the law's regulations. And let's just leave that slide up there. Because you might think, well, I don't go to a church that has laws. Let me ask you a question. Does your church teach and I know this to be a fact, even under the banner of Christianity, does your church teach that you have to be baptized into their church in order to be saved? It's a simple yes or no question. Does your church teach that you have to, a person has to be baptized into their church to be saved? If you said yes, then that's works. That's a regulation of your church. It's not Judaism, but it's a regulation of your church. Or maybe you go to a church that says, well, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Now, you unbelievers, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about, so I'm talking about to the believer who's listening. Does your church say, well, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? That's a work. That's a church requirement. 
There's other churches that say, Christian churches that might say, well, if you speak in tongues, that's of the devil. You're not saved. You see, it's just the craziness of people. Instead of just sticking to the word of God and knowing that we're saved by grace through faith alone and that God gives us gifts, many gifts, including the gifts of tongues, to be used decently and in order as you read the whole word of God, you'll become, unfu- you'll become unconfused. You see, it's kind of like when I was younger and I treated my wife like a wife. You see, I wasn't really sure what that meant because all that I had to go on really was from my parents and other marital couples that I saw externally. I I had never lived with any other marital couple besides my parents. So what I brought into my marriage was molded and shaped by my parents' marriage. And so I tried my best, but it wasn't working out too well. You see, I was looking at the relationship as what was required of me to make my wife happy. But as I started to learn about the grace of God and how loving and compassionate God was towards me, a sinner, then I saw my wife in a totally different light. I started looking at my wife as my bride, a sinner just like me. She needed to be looked after, cared for, protected, just like Jesus looks after, cares, and protects his church, of which I am a part of, church, the big C. It was then that I started to treat my bride differently. There was a transformation that started to take place in my life. And I no longer loved my wife out of duty. So for you religious people, you go to church out of duty. No, I loved my wife out of a desire. You see, the Gentiles, they didn't need to learn about the duty of the law. John, you want to throw that slide up? They didn't need to learn about the duty of the law They had a desire to learn about the grace of God. Very important there. And maybe you're thinking right now, you know what? This is hitting home. I don't like this. I don't like what I'm hearing, but this is hitting home. I have to admit that I'm trying to meet the requirements of my church. I'm doing it out of a duty of a law instead of a desire for the grace of God. So, back in Acts, we see here James, the half-brother of our Lord. Yes, he was the half-brother. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, the gospel tells us. Mark 6, 3, for your reference. He stands up and he starts to address the assembly, gathered about the debate of circumcision, and following the law for salvation. He starts off by using Peter's Hebrew name, Simon. In verse 14, Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his own name. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Again, take your time turning there. See, this is very interesting because the Jews thought that they were the only ones who were good enough to be called by God his children. And unfortunately, religions today will teach that they're the only ones good enough to go to heaven. And if you don't join their religion, you will not go to heaven. And if you don't think that's true, just start asking a Mormon or a Catholic or a Muslim, if I don't join your religion, will I go to heaven? And listen to the response. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ or the, the Messiah, God's Son. So he came by the Spirit. Notice that the Holy Spirit was working still in the Old Testament. New Testament has not started yet. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, so this would be Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now I am going to die. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Notice that, all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Notice that as Jesus coming in to be dedicated, circumcised, this man takes him in his hands and lifts him up and says, Thank you, God. I have seen the Messiah that you have promised of old. I can now depart in peace. And this little child is going to be the salvation of who? Two groups of people. Jew, Gentile. The whole world. As we approach 8 billion people. Let's look back in Acts 15. And we're going to get into Amos 9, 11 through 12. And this is the words that the prophets agree, just as it is written. And you will find this reference from Amos 9, 11 and 12. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So the Lord who does all these so says... The Lord who does all these things. So there's no excuse that you have today. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. Verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. So God being outside our time realm knows the beginning to the end. We all have a birthday. Mine was May 27th, 1960. I'm going to have a day that I'm going to die, an exact second that I am going to die. It's already there in eternity. God already knows that. I don't. Could be this week, could be today, could be 20 years from now. But God knows. And so God knew everything that was taking place right now. He's not controlling every decision. He, has, he gives us free will, but he is a God of order. Don't try to figure it out because you won't be able to. Just understand it, believe it, acknowledge it. And so God knows these things from eternity past, and he knows eternity future. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. That word trouble there means to harass further, to harass further. Don't place more requirements upon them. And this is what religion will always do. Religion will always replace requirements upon you. 
Well, you have to go to mass or you have to go to synagogue or you have to say these prayers three times a day or you have to give money or you have to knock on doors or you can never leave this church or you will lose your salvation. All of these requirements, just it's harassment. And I'm sure that some of you can identify with this. Some of you who have left the religion that maybe you were born into, your family harasses you about that. They're not excited that you love Jesus and that you're going to heaven. They're harassing you that you left their religion because that would prove that they're wrong and you're right. So they try to harass you. So James is just saying, no, we're not, we, we don't want to harass them. Don't put more requirements upon them. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. We got about 10 minutes left, so hang in there. We'll try to go through this quickly. They abstained. It means to hold off oneself off to refrain. Now remember, they do not have the New Testament writings that we have today. They were in the process of being inspired by the Holy Spirit to start writing those letters. So they were going through a process of having to reprogram their minds and hearts because of the Old Testament requirements and regulations. They were also dealing with the arrogance and ignorance of their culture at that time. So the Holy Spirit guides the early church through some very basic yet extremely important practical steps. Hold yourself off from refraining from food that is sacrificed to idols. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very quickly turn there so we can get through these next verses here. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Paul, being a Christian, a Jewish Christian, is saying all things are lawful for me. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I'm not hindered by the law anymore. But not all things are going to benefit me, so maybe I should stay away from certain things. That's all he's saying. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So in other words, it's not about me. It's about everyone else as well. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Now again, you might think, well, as a Christian, this doesn't apply to me in America. And it it most likely won't. But you know, there's a lot of Christians in the world that still live in this type of environment. And so this is still very applicable even to this day. So when someone, you go to someone's house, they invite you to dinner and they set a plate before you, don't ask where this came from. What was this sacrifice to? Just enjoy it. That's what Paul is saying here. Eat whatever is, set, is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to a dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if someone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the Lord is, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not for your own, but for the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I spoken evil of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, the Gentiles, or to the church of God. Just as I also pleased all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So, we see that the pollution of idols 
is not partaking of food that was sacrificed to idols. The next item on the list here is fornication. This is very applicable to Christians today. Got a definition here. Fornication in the New Testament is defined as any sex outside of marriage, which includes homosexuality and bestiality. Just going to leave that up there because so many Christians, unfortunately, will argue that having sex before marriage is not forbidden in the Bible. It's not spoken anywhere in the Bible. They haven't read their Bibles. It's the word fornication. When you look up that word fornication, when you look up the definition, it's any sex, any type of sex outside of marriage, which includes homosexuality and bestiality. So the early believers are encouraged to remain sexually pure. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 quickly. This is obviously a problem that is prevalent today throughout most of the world, even amongst Christians, unfortunately. And there's a very good reason why the Holy Spirit inspired James here. Again, Paul gives us more details in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. Notice that. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So as a believer, the Holy Spirit comes within you whom you have from God, and you are not your own. We have now become the disciple, the bondservant. Jesus, Father, God, the Holy Spirit, they are our master. You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, as Bible-believing Christians, we are considered the bride of Christ, so we should not be united to anyone sexually until that wonderful God-ordained covenant of marriage is partaken of between one genetic male and one genetic female. God created that wonderful covenant of marriage back in the garden with Adam and Eve, and that is exactly why the enemy desires people to live in sexual sin, to corrupt that pure covenant. But when one man and one woman become married, it is at this point that we take on that covenant and represent Christ in his church. How do I know that? Well, Ephesians 5.25 tells us, husbands, love your wives. Notice this, husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say husbands, love your woman. Biblical marital terms. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So every husband represents Christ and every woman represents the church. As we look at the last two items in Acts, they're not going to be too hard for us to do here in America. Abstain from things that are strangled for us, or basically, don't pick up roadside kill. (laughs) And don't drink blood. You see, there was and is a way to prepare an animal for proper eating. And strangling or running over them is not the right way. God in his wisdom was safeguarding humanity because when the blood remains in the body of a dead animal, it contaminates the meat, making it unhealthy and unwise to eat. I'm going to read a few verses here for time's sake. Leviticus 17 says this, Whatever man of the children of Israel or a stranger who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. So... That's the physical aspect of things strangled, but there's also a spiritual aspect as the music team comes back up 
of blood as well. Even to this day, many religions, many religions acknowledge that there is a need for a blood sacrifice to cover their sins. Many religions. It may, be, it may sound strange to us, but to their religion, it's not strange, it's a fact. But for the Jew, specifically, it goes back to Leviticus 17, 11. And we've got this slide here. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Notice this was written over 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago, this was written. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Science finally caught up with this fact. That's why you want to read your Bible. It is full of facts. People mock and ridicule the Bible, but here is a 3,500-year-old fact. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul or that covers us and makes us acceptable before God. And that's why we celebrate communion. It's the cross. Jesus went to the cross He shed his blood, the perfect, acceptable sacrifice that we might be set free. You see, in that culture that was spiritually and sexually depraved, the church needed these basic guidelines, and these will be expanded upon throughout the New Testament. Again, not to create new laws that had to be kept in order to gain salvation, but to give us proper guidelines to keep us safe. Because God is concerned this very day, for you listening, God is very concerned with our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. God is very concerned. Are you? And I think you would say, well, of course I am. Well, if you are concerned, do something about it. Accept Jesus as your Savior. And allow him to minister to you in a way via the Holy Spirit that you've never been, never ministered to before. The word of God will then come alive. And you will truly understand that God is love. And that we live in a fallen world, a cursed world where sin reigns. Where people die. Young, middle-aged, old. People die. But when we have Jesus as our Savior, when we die as Bible-believing Christians... We go to heaven. We immediately go to heaven to be with our Father. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you for the free gift of salvation. And Father, I just thank you and praise you that you have a plan and a purpose behind what is going on. And I think part of that plan and purpose is so that people that would never tune tune into a religious service are tuning in to Bible studies and they're hearing about the grace of God and that it's not about religion. It's not about duties and debts. It's about a relationship. So Father, I thank you even for this virus, for what it's done and it's been grieving and it's been, and it has hurts and it's going to cause a ripple effect for months, if not years to come. But at the same time, people are receiving Jesus as their Savior via the internet. They're hearing the truth that they probably wouldn't have heard if this circumstance had not been allowed to happen. 
You're allowing it to wake people up. You're granting repentance to bring people back and to bring people for the first time to salvation. You know, as the saints are praying right now via the internet, they're praying for salvation for any soul out there that's listening. And so if you're an unbeliever and you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior right now, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You pray this prayer, and God will receive you. You see, it's not about the prayer. It's about your heart. I'm not asking you for a head commitment about Calvary Chapel. I'm asking you, are you ready to make a heart commitment? Will you acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you're willing to repent? Repent means to turn. You're willing to turn away from your ways of doing things and you're going to turn to God's ways of doing things. If that's you, just pray this simple prayer. God, I come to you right now. I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I freely choose to accept Jesus as my Savior right now. I invite your Holy Spirit into my life right now. I don't understand what that means, but I trust you're going to show me through your word and through other Bible-believing Christians. So I accept it by faith. And I thank you for that free gift of salvation. And that God, I can now call you Father. My Father. That is so sweet. Thank you, Father, for accepting me just the way I am. And you are now going to transform my life in a wonderful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for this time. Give us wisdom, as I've already mentioned, about the the future services, about the graduation, about the Israel trip, about things that are going to continue to happen in our lives. We are going to get back to a a basic normalcy. It's going to be a little different, but we're going to get back there. So, Father, we thank you for that. And just give us wisdom via your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, please let us know. But if you need prayer, office at ccfqc.org. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit Calvary Queen Creek. Dot org.